Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today I'm talking to Andy Maratos. Now, Andy is someone I've met a few times and know pretty well. And uh, for a change, actually, instead of talking to someone across the pond, pond I'm, someone, I'm talking to someone who's almost across the road. So good morning, Andy. Hi, Russell. And I gather you're just down in Southampton, which is about, what, four miles away from me? Yeah, not far at all. Yeah, just around the corner. It'd be probably safer in IT terms to have a, two cans and a bit of string between us, but um, we're going <laughs> to soldier on with IT. Give it a go, yeah. yeah. And so Andy is the CEO of, a, uh, of Chrysalis, which is a, a charity devoted to trans issues, helping and supporting trans people and their partners and significant others. And um, I thought it'd be useful today to actually um, unpack some of the issues around trans people and especially around the world of work so, pe- so people at work can help support them. Because I know you have um, many support packages and things which we can explore later, but I thought that would be mm-hmm. a good subject for a meeting, uh, for a discussion, Andy. How does that sound to you? Yeah, that sounds fine. Okay. Well, let's start with the basics of the May. How do you describe what you do at Chrysalis? What, 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 what's it all about? So we support trans people, their families and friends, uh, primarily through providing support groups, which is workshops, life skill sessions, facilitated group work and one-to-one counselling. Um, we also do quite a lot of advocacy, peer mentoring, uh, training and networking. Okay, so it's great to have an expert on today in this subject, because obviously there's a lot in the media, especially the British and American media, about trans people and such like. So can we start from the real basics? Could you tell us the difference between a drag person, um, a cross-dresser or something along those lines, and a trans person? What's the difference between those things? So a trans person is someone who is incongruent in their gender identity. That's a WHO term, uh, World Health Organization. And that means that their internal sense of gender identity isn't aligned with the gender they were assigned at birth. Um, I would describe being trans as a moving away from that gender you were assigned at birth. Whereas someone who's a cross-dresser or a drag person, they're absolutely fine quite often um, with their gender identity they know who they are they um, just like expressing um, or acting performing in um, a different gender role and I think some of the confusion for people is the difference between gender and sexual um, presentation in terms of physiology have you got I've got a way of actually helping us understand that 
so gender identity is something that's integral and it's who you are. Um, whereas your sexuality is who you like. Um, they're, they're two very separate things. And what about sort of sexual organs? So in other words, if you're a, a woman and you believe your gender is incorrect, it's possible to have the sexual organs of one person and the gender identity of another. Is, is, is that how it works? Um, <laughs> it's such a broad subject. Um, I think to think of anything as so binary that, you know, there is one uh, perfect set of um, genitalia that looks one way and one perfect set that looks the other way and everybody has to put in those two categories is just such a misrepresentation of um, primary, secondary sexual characteristics and how they interact with our endocrine system, with um, with our brains and our chromosomes as well. So, yeah, I think it's just too simplistic. And so there are people who are defined, um, or the argument goes that if you're a woman, you have to have a certain set of sexual organs and such like, and that doesn't account for people who are intersex or, you know, have had, you know, don't have that physiology, don't they? So gender is a more, is a more useful way of thinking about Absolutely, yeah. I think the the um, yeah you, the gender you're assigned at birth is based on well, you kind of look like one of those that category, so we'll assign you that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly, I think reducing gender or gender identity down to genitals is incredibly limiting. Um, how many uh, women do you know who don't have children? So to define people by their ownership of a womb and the ability of that womb to procreate, it's like, well, haven't we just moved, haven't we moved away from that? Haven't we been moving away from that for centuries to understand who people are? So, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so if we're thinking about gender, a lot of people talk about this idea that children um, should somehow know their gender. So some, somehow they're, that they're able to choose their gender. Um, and now I know, I've met trans people who say that it's impossible. It's impossible. You know, the fact that, you know, you're a girl and you like playing with trains does not, you know, does not mean, you know, for a time or that you're a tomboy doesn't define your gender. People who, people who are young innately know their gender's wrong. Is, is that true? Yeah, I, I think to describe it as choosing your gender is um, to imply that actually your gender identity is a choice and it really isn't. It is exactly what you say. It's an innate sense of who you are, how you relate to the world, how you relate to, relate to your own body. Um, again, these things are driven by our experiences inside, outside, um, our, again, our endocrine system, our chromosomes, all sorts of stuff. Um, and there's plenty of research out there that shows that trans children have as clear a sense of their gender identity from the very early age um, as uh, non-trans children do. So there's a piece of research being done by the University of Washington at the moment. It's like a 20-year longitudinal study, which is already producing some really good information around that. Okay, so the sort of argument, I was a tomboy, I played with trains, um, is sort of a non-argument really, because actually that's just proof that you weren't trans in the first place. So, because you often yeah. see that used as an argument where children can't possibly know their gender. Um, I think if you, 
if you work with someone who's very clear about their gender identity, then that becomes, again, it becomes a specious argument. Um, it's important to separate gender uh, expression from gender identity. One is how we convey who we are. The other one is our integral sense of self, so, if that makes sense. Uh, no, just to unpack that a little bit more for me. So your gender identity, like I say, that is something that is formed from your very sense of self. It's something that's formed over your lifetime as you understand more about yourself. Um, you find more aspects of who you are. We all do work on our, our identity as, as we grow up, as we develop. Um, and, but we also look at how we express ourselves. So if you can... Um, Express if you can control how people see you um, or influence how people see you, if you can explore aspects of who you innately are. So you like football. Well, that's not going to be limited by your gender identity or indeed your genitals, that you are this person who likes football. Right. Um, that's not a gendered construct, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does totally. But it's a hard thing to get your head around, isn't it? Um, sometimes, sometimes I think people try too hard to get their head around other people's experiences without trying to actually walk alongside that individual. Um, I think one of the um, best ways of, of thinking about it is don't imagine wanting to be the opposite gender. Imagine never being seen for the person you are. Mm. And I think that's a, a better way of trying to understand from a perspective where your gender identity is fine. Yeah, you may have a million other things going on, but your, your gender identity isn't one of them. Um, to understand someone who has that incongruence, that misalignment, um, and particularly for someone where that alignment is so great as to cause some really significant distress and need support to fix. Okay, that makes sense. And, and, I guess, and I guess living a life where you are not being able to be yourself, not in terms of, both in terms of expre expression and identity, it can be pretty rough. Yes, yeah. Um, constantly living behind masks, constantly trying to um, perform other people's expectations um, or living in fear, trying to not, um, to not let it out. Um, also for some people not realizing that that is what's driving all of the, um, the mental distress until the world comes crashing down. Um, when we speak to many, many of the people who come to us for the first time, they describe um, reaching rock bottom, that this being it being transitional diet, this has to happen mm. because they've, they've reached a point of no more options. They have tried everything else. They've tried to live in their assigned gender. They've, they've tried to believe it's not real. No one, literally no one questions themselves as much as an individual trans person. Is this real? Am I real? Can I do this? And in terms of the way that people often live their lives, you often see stories of um, 
people who become uh, to transition from being men to women, living a, an, an almost an overtly masculine life with many children, often working in the armed services or sort of you know seen as really sort of macho type roles. It, is is that a stereotype or a cliche, or is that actually true? Um, so what people who um, maybe live live very yeah very uh, stereotypical gender roles before transition yeah absolutely that's not um none of this is the rule you know you can certainly never say all trans people um but any more than you can say all humans um but certainly for a lot of people for a huge variety of different reasons um may pick a very gendered um like an assigned gendered stereotypical role so yeah like you say perhaps armed forces or um, thinking about it the other way, you know, throwing themselves into motherhood and trying just trying to be the absolute perfect man or woman. Because if they can get it right, maybe then all of these feelings will will subside. Because maybe they're just doing it wrong. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's there's no there's certainly no one one path. And there's a lot of noise in the media and. Um you know, quite a lot of hysteria, really, especially since the way that we recognise gender legally has changed over the last couple of years or the last few years. Um, but actually, how many, I mean, I know it's an impossible question, but roughly how many people are we talking about in terms of maybe, say, the UK population that could could or are officially trans, as it were? So um, there's there are figures thrown around from um, between 0.5 to maybe 2 to 5%. Um, but I think we have no idea because we've never surveyed. And I don't know whether you're aware, but the 2021 census has got two voluntary questions on it for the first time ever. Um, one is about your gender identity and one is about your sexual identity. Right. And or your sexuality. And so for the first time, we will have a better idea. I think it's important to recognise that the census is still filled out by the head of household. Um, so if you're trans, you may not be out to your family yeah. um, or you may be out to your family, but they refuse to accept it. So it will still be underreported. But I think we will come closer to an idea of, of how many people there are. Well, I mean, if you think about, even if you take the midpoint between your two figures, you know, one and a half percent of 60 million people, that's quite a lot of people in the UK, isn't it? It's enough people to to actually want to care um, and to want to fix it. But it is also very much still, you know, a tiny minority compared to to wider society. And I think what we'll find is that there's an awful lot more non-binary trans people I know that's a word that's very much come to the fore recently um, when the government did their LGBT survey back in 2016 um, they realized that non-binary identities were much more prevalent than than anybody considered and I think that's actually um, a, a really important space to to allow to develop and to exist um, this space where actually, your gender, you don't have to be going from A to B or B to A. Like I say, transition is that move away from what you were assigned. So, 
we often hear this word sort of bandied around. There's two words, aren't there? Gender fluid and non-binary. I mean, what what does that really mean? <laughs> um, so the the binary is um, the uh, male and female as we used to conceive. So very much the uh, stereotypical roles, the um, Western idea of um, men do this, women do that. Um, these are men, these are women. You know, we started talking right at the beginning and you said about genitals. And I think that's probably the, the clearest, you know, yeah. people that fit into this category and that category. Um, but we know that genitals don't define gender identity. They may align and typically do align, but they don't define it. Um, and so we know that there's this space in the middle. Mm. Um, that's the non-binary space. Now, for some people, gender identity may be more fluid. So um, for me, it depends on who I'm with, how I'm responding, and lots of other uh, things that are going on for me. Sometimes um, my more femme aspects will come forward, or I wouldn't say they're particularly strong, and other times uh, much more more masculine. Um, and so for me, that gender fluid or, or gender queer, again, I know queer is not a word that suits everybody. Um, and for other people, uh, non-binary can be very, very clear that they have two extremely distinct gender presentations um, and different, um, you know, will we'll have different roles, different presentations, depending on what else is going on in their world. Um, or it may be for someone that being able to be their inside authentic self occasionally is enough so they can keep the rest of their world working. Mm -hmm. um, but they can be be that person once a month, once a year, once a week, every evening when they get home from work. Right. Um, so that term non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, all of those different words are different ways of people trying to explain how that experience is inside for themselves. Right. right. And so... I think a lot of the fuss that's sort of rampaging around the media and, and such like is, is because actually legal protection has changed over the course of the last few years. And uh, we're almost seeing the raising of the issues for this community of people in the way that sexual orientation was, you know, about 20 years ago, where people are seen to be protected and, and therefore there seems to be the spotlight thrown on the community. And therefore... Um, it seems as if it seems that these issues are everywhere. Where, of course, I'm, I'm guessing that's not useful for the community because actually they seem to suffer more in terms of things like suicide, depression, and mental health issues than the norms is, or the, more than the standard population rather than the norm. Let's put it that way. So, is is that true? Is that is that is that an issue for people who are you know trans that they do have more challenges in terms of suicide and 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 their world being more challenging than 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 the standard population is that a thing so, so um if you think back to what i was saying about people hitting that place where it's it's this or um that's definitely true um for for many people yes it is is this or die or it's 
this or I can't see past it. So not everybody has a suicide ideation in their um, construct. Um, we collect statistics of everyone who comes through our service. It's totally self-reported, you know, people don't have to tell us. Um, and the last 12 months, over 70% of the people who came through our service said that being trans had had a significant negative impact on their mental health. Mm. Um, over 36% had attempted suicide and well over 40% were active self-harmers. Um, so, yes, it's real. Um, and the more it becomes, um, or the more society appears to not accept, the harder it becomes to accept yourself. Yes. Um, to live through those days when everything is just not right. Mm. Whereas, you know, there's, there's so much out there that says, you know, if people are supported, if people are accepted then, oh, it all goes away because being trans is not a predicator for poor mental health. No. Lack of acceptance, judgment, discrimination, hate crime. That's what makes you feel awful about something that is simply an aspect of human diversity. Yes. So, so if you're at work and you're dealing with it, um, if you're if you're a member of a team or a manager and someone comes along to you and says, you know, I think I'm trans, I need, I need some help or support or, yeah. So the first thing we have to think about is that this is not a, this is not a simple choice. This is not something that's, this is not a conversation that's been easy necessarily for that person to come and broach with you at work. No, no, not at all. Um, that so what's, thing that... What, what's the least or most useful way of being able to support that person or, you know, be able to respond to that initial sort of approach? Ask them what they want. You know, how can I help? You know, is it just that you want me to listen? Um, or is it that you want some practical support? Um, I think it's also, at some point, um, would be important to find out if they'd sought any other support, um, if they wanted to. Um, have they been able to talk to their partner, things like that? And the really key thing is to discuss confidentiality because if somebody's trusted you with this information, they need to be able to trust that they have absolute control over where it goes next. Yeah. So let's say they're working in, a, in an office environment that come and say, I'd like, you know, this is, this is what I've, this is what I've finally realised. I need some help and support. I want to live this new life. Mm -hmm. Does an organisation have to do something about this um, or can they say, well, actually, that's all very lovely, but we're not interested, so there's the door? I mean, what's possible? No, no, no. There, there, there's plenty of legal protections um, in the same way as if you, you went to your boss and said, you know, I, I need some um, support because I've got a, a specific medical condition or I'm pregnant or... Um, <coughs> Or whatever. So yeah, under the Equality Act 2010, there is rather a lot of support for for trans people. So duty of care is that we need duty to support care. and work with these people. Mm -hmm. And so and so the first question is, so what can I do to help? And yeah. is, it, is it genuinely as simple as that? I mean, do, do what happens about the contentious subject of toilets and such like? Because that's often a big issue that seems to exercise people's minds. What what's a pragmatic solution around that? De-escalate it. Okay. Quite frankly, 
long, long before anybody in your company comes to you and says, oh, I, I, I would like to, to talk to you about being trans or transitioning at work, um, get some gender neutral toilets in. Yeah. Um, I, I'm fairly certain that every time people have been on an aeroplane, the toilets are gender neutral. Most people's bathrooms at home tend to be gender neutral. It's just no big deal. You know, we go into bathrooms to go through the lavatory. That, that's why we need to use them. Um, we might go in and look in a mirror. Um, they're always quite useful. Um, it can be nice to have them in all toilets. Uh, we might go in to, to take care of some, some medical or clinical needs, so we maybe need to change the dressing. Um, you know, these are private things that you do in private spaces. Yeah. And so, that and so be, that's, that's my biggest, biggest piece of advice, just yeah. make it a non-issue. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing, sort of a theme I'm picking up here. It's a sort of so what. So someone's decided to change their gender. I mean, well, so what in this day and age? You know, why should that? Mm-hmm. Why should that be an issue, really? Because actually, if you yeah. support, if you and, and actually we've had a couple of trans people on here, and and the key thing they've said is if the organisation supports them, they become the most you know fiercely loyal and you know particularly productive sort of member of the workforce, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, being your authentic self, being out at work is, um, you know, I think it's Stonewall that did that research. You know, it's a 20% increase because you're not hiding this anymore. You're not leaving work and standing on the mat by your car and getting changed into your stuff so that you can drive home your authentic self just for a half an hour. Mm. You know, you're not hiding it. You're not fearful of going out in your hometown because people might see you. Um, you can go to a work, you can talk about your partner mm. at work freely, you know, all of these things that just everybody else kind of takes for granted. Yeah. Um, and I think that the important thing there is this is not a choice. Yeah. The only choice is what you do about it. So, and for a lot of people, you are driven to the point where there is no choice even then. It's this or die. Yeah. So, yeah, like I say, nobody's going to have got to this point without a huge amount of soul searching. Um, and, I think, and, so, I think one, and I think one of the things to think about here is that if you don't have a welcoming employee culture, there's usually an impact in the way that you actually deal with customers as well, because that, that mindset leaks through into the way that you, you trade. So the better your internal culture, the, the more accepting and willing yeah. you are externally, because your customer base can be as diverse as you like then, can't it? Yeah, yeah. To- toxic work cultures are, are harmful for everybody. Mm. Um, so, you know, bants in the office that shut down um, a member of the team because they don't feel like they can, can join in, don't feel like they're worthy of anything. How productive is that team member, regardless of what the, the topic being discussed, whether it's race or gender or anything? Mm. And the thing to bear in mind with trans people who have survived to this moment to the point of talking to you openly about it is they must have extraordinary levels of resilience because actually they're bouncing back every single day, you know, if they're not living that authentic self. So and that really is a sign of someone whose potential can be, I mean, you know, it's a trite word to yeah, say, yeah. Re- uh, re- released or unleashed, but it's true, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think also there's that when somebody's come to you, that that resilience may be very fragile. They may have come to you because they do need your help. Um, They may need to speak to you as a colleague, as a friend, um, or simply because you are the HR director and you need to to clean some 
obstructions out of the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's everybody's going to be individual. But yeah, that resilience will grow. The more you're respected, the more you're able to be yourself. Um, because, the more people don't assume that you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, that's that's another thing. Thinking that transition is a social thing. There may be other things that you do, yeah. but first and foremost, it's a social thing, and it's getting that social acceptance. Yeah, that is really important. And the point actually is, someone comes and talks to you. That's an enormous sign of trust, and it's different that's for the different. HR department, where you're right. However wonderful and lovely we all think we are as human beings, there are those amongst us who are actually quite prejudiced about anyone who's different, and therefore. Mm. HR a useful ally in terms of clearing those sorts of obstacles. So do you, yeah. think, do you think part of this and part of the transition plan would be to definitely talk to HR if, if such a thing exists in your organisation? Oh, yeah, I, I think certainly that it, it's worth it. I mean, you're going to need things like a new email. Well, you may not. Not everybody changes their name even, but, you know, new email address, um, new ID badge, um, that kind of thing. There may be... For, for some people, they want a coming out at work plan. For other people, it would just be, look, I just want to come in tomorrow like this and I kind of want it all all just okay. Yeah. Um, some people, it's slow. Interesting. So, so you mentioned earlier that you support trans people and their partners and such like, but I know you do some work around helping organisations um, deal with these sorts of things so talk to me a bit about that so as an organization we've been around since 2005 um so we've gained quite a lot of um experience in what it is to be trans and the challenges that that people overcome um so what i would say is chrysalis can educate you in that experience of being trans so we offer training for um of high-end staff so like an hour just to talk about what it is and the headline facts um but for for front uh front-facing staff so maybe care workers support workers people who are working uh, more directly with trans people counselors whatnot we can offer a three-hour training course which is very much about understanding that experience um just to make people allies really or help people become more informed allies yes yeah, fascinating. And so if people would like to find out more, Andy, how would they find you or how would they find Chrysalis? So if they go to chrysalisgim.org.uk, um, then they can check out our website. We're also at chrysalisgim on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Fantastic. And if anyone would like to be a, a sort of an advocate or a supporter, can they use that same address to do that sort of thing? Absolutely, yes. We're, we're always looking for, for allies and volunteers, um, anybody who wants to get involved. So that's how, that's how everybody gets, yeah, survives, yes. because they've got allies. Yes. And so I think I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite um, inspired by the fact, actually, you're treating it as being a very normal thing and the absence of drama and the way you describe it things, I think, is a, in stark relief to, to what's going on out there. So 
perhaps we need more people like you, Andy, in the world who are sort of just all, you know, making making it sound a little bit more normal, a little less exciting, a little less <laughs> dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, well, you, you say that. I mean, finding yourself, being your authentic self is the most amazing thing anybody can ever do. Yeah. But it's a personal thing. Very true. Andy, it's yeah. been a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. You take care. And you. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.